Good morning or good evening if you're on the other side of the globe. From my bedroom closet to wherever you are, thank you for listening, sharing, and subscribing. My name is Sky Stacy. You might know me as Sky Fi, rapper and content creator out of Eugene, Oregon. Welcome to another episode of Sky Pilot Sunday's The Podcast. The purpose for this show is to not only explore the perception we have of ourselves versus the external world's perception of us, but to also connect with creative minds and discuss the highs and lows one faces on the journey to happiness and success. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can do so by hitting us up on social media, specifically for the podcast at Sky Pilot Sundays. You can find me at The Real SkyFi as well. Make sure to tag us so we can see and engage with you and your thoughts and use that hashtag SkyPilotSundays. You can find every episode of Sky Pilot Sundays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, Radio Public, and TuneIn. A big shout out to our friends over at Broden Creative Media. That's B-R-O-D-O-N Creative Media for sponsoring and empowering this podcast. My guest today on the show is a pioneer within the evolution of Northwest hip hop. Based in Eugene, Oregon, he has built up a musical legacy that has spanned nearly three decades of growth. Since 1992, he has been producing, recording, and performing his music. At age 15, two years after beginning his musical journey, he experienced a period of homelessness and eventually found success in starting his own record label, Shama Sound, and has performed in front of thousands of people along the way. All the way, he has made sure to keep his personal message conveyed of affecting culture by simply being himself. Please join me in welcoming Michael K. Hello, 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 what's up? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for being here today, Michael. We really appreciate you being a guest for episode 12. This has been so- Of course, thank you for uh, delivering your message to the people. Man, that's, that's, that's everything I've been hoping to do with each installment. And as more and more has developed, you know, around the globe as of late, you know, even starting this podcast, we had no idea what kind of things were gonna transpire. So I choose to use this as a platform to provide some sort of light um, and project it outward. So I can't think of a better guest to have on the show than someone like yourself, someone I've been influenced by for half my lifetime now. So this feels right to be speaking on an issue, a topic of legacy today, and we'll, we'll break everything down as the episode unfolds. But first off, uh, just as an opener, I gotta say, you know, as I've told you many times, you've been a huge influence on me since I was 14, 15 years old, growing up as an aspiring rapper in Eugene, Oregon. And outside of what you've done for me, you are definitely a pioneer of Northwest hip hop. So I'd like to know, what does the word legacy mean to you? Um, I mean, essentially the word legacy uh, to me really just reflects like, no, it's the comfort of knowing that when you're gone, that there will be humans left, you know, that have been impacted by you to a level that, you know, they can speak on it. Like, I, you know, I think the, the funeral, the funeral example is the best example of legacy. It's like when you're gone, like what are people going to stand up at your funeral and say? Right. You know? Right. And, um, you know, I think that when people can say, man, you really had a huge impact in a positive way, um, you know, that's, that's legacy. Right, right. And what do you want people to say? You know, maybe I hope that doesn't come off as like, morbid or, or dark you know but when people do attend 
your funeral one day like what is it that you hope people can say about you well i mean i don't even think i don't even have to necessarily go there to to the funeral uh i i remember um during the good old club days yes sir shout um, out to <laughs> I, I was posted up in there just hanging out and i noticed this dude just kind of like looking at me from you know across the way and you know of course at first i'm like man is this is this dude trying to mean mug me like what's up you know what i mean mm. and then uh he comes up to me and he's like you're michael k huh and i'm like yeah and he's like man you when i was locked up in juvenile hall you were coming in and, and teaching us um how to make beats he was like that like that changed my life you know what i mean i'm just like dang you know because and, and too even since this whole um you know the the George Floyd incident and and the ensuing protests and and everything that's going on. Of course. You know every, every other day I'm getting emails from students like, hey, like thank you so much. Like I learned so much in your class. Like if I didn't have your class, I wouldn't understand really what's going on right now. Wow. Um, you, you know, so I think uh, people would say the same thing at the funeral that that they're saying right now, which is just like. Hey, thanks for taking the time to to bless us either with you know with knowledge, either yeah. in regards to music or in regards to issues around social justice and and you know racial issues. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about this prior to the episode even today, you know, and you know, at the end of the day, we're all on this timeline that expires you know uh, uh -huh. at, at least in a physical manifestation so while you're here you know what are you going to do with the same 24 hours that everyone else has um so it it always bugs me out to some degree to to hear people constantly complaining about seemingly nothing you know um or you know to even break it down to uh a, a, a even more microscopic level like you know, systemically, you know, with the issues, you know, such as white privilege, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I know for me and myself that I can bring myself back to when I think to complain about something ridiculous, you know, uh, you know, trivial everyday complaints I go. Yeah. But there, I, there, I know that there are billions of people worldwide that have it worse off than I do. And there's always somebody that's got a worse situation than what you have so what are you going to do with it that's that's where i sort of bring myself back to on a daily basis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you've built up a legacy with your own solo and your your group discographies both and and these days you've been in the studio with your son crafting a sound and springboard uh for his own musical legacy and I've gotten a chance to hear some of this music and it's super dope. And I want to know what this whole experience has been like for you. It's one of the one of the craziest experiences that I've experienced of all time. Um, I mean, just it's it's surreal, you know, um, especially, too, because, you know, everybody is pretty much obligated to love their children and think that they're the most beautiful in the world right. and they're the most talented and, and gifted and it's just it's built in yes. you know and so I try to sit back and, and get outside of myself like 
man, do I really think that this kid is that talented because mm -hmm. I'm his dad? Or like, what what would I think if I wasn't his dad? And then I, I, I you know, step back from that perspective as much as I can and I listen and look from that perspective. And I'm like, oh no, I'd be like, who is this kid? <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so rewarding. I mean, it's going back to the, to the, um, you know, discussion of legacy, like that's ultimate legacy, you know? For sure. 1000% for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've even of the music that you've played for me previously of his, of Michael Jr. It's, it's, he's got his own sound. Like you're clearly, mm -hmm. you're clearly playing the role of his Yoda in this whole situation you know and you know mm -hmm. building this x-wing in dagobah you know but mm -hmm. but it's completely this sound that is unique to his soul his voice coming through and him finding that and i can say that at 15 years old i did not have a, a mentor we'll say or like a, uh, a a guide somebody that could help mold that and bring that out of me it was just sort of trial and error figuring out as you go and so I think that's amazing to, although I did, I will say my dad was a drummer, still is a drummer and in a, and was at the time in a, in a rock band, X-Piracy, late eighties, early nineties, super, you know, rock and roll hair band, everything. But he always had music playing in the house and he was always drumming. There's always a drum set, always tabletops playing on his stomach or on a tabletop. There was always this sense of rhythm within the house. And I do believe that's where I harnessed my sense of rhythm um <clears throat> but to be able to have that as a guide to be able to guide your son into you know this next generation of hip-hop that's pretty remarkable to me well i mean if i'm being honest there's, there's not a whole lot of guidance i'd say there's influence you know obviously you know having a, a studio at the house and you know even before he started doing music he's crawling around the floor in the studio just kind of like picking up like it's just part of his natural environment you yeah know what i mean just vibing um, and like when he sits down to write like i don't i don't give him ideas of what to write about or um you know what to talk about or how to do it like he it all comes from his own soul and his own expression um mm. which is which is dope but you know it's it reminds me of um when i was coming up when I started uh, doing music at, at, at the age of 13, which he got a head start because he's been like messing with it a little bit since like the age of nine, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he, he got serious about it at like 11 or 12, you know? Wow. Um, That's still super early, like to be like, yeah, this is what I'm gravitating to. Yeah. So I started at 13 and, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of older folks. Um, you know, Turtle turtle b who was the one that first put me on and, and got me my first show and brought me over to where you know the the hip-hop scene was popping in eugene which when i say popping i mean it was underground like mm -hmm. it was there, it was not if you were like oh yeah i'm a rapper it was like no props you know <laughs> <laughs> you can just go out and be like oh yeah i rap people be like oh cool they'd be like oh you know that's cute yeah uh yeah so, so pre, it was pre sound it was super under Huh? Pre SoundCloud days. Uh, yes, yes. It was hop, hop in the car and put in your cassette tape, and, and I mean that was like, <clears throat> just you'd have that cassette tape in your pocket. You just couldn't wait that somebody actually had a car with 
a cassette tape player and you're like, oh, let me play this real quick. You know, that, those days. Yeah, but, let, me, so, let me rewind sure. it to my favorite song. Yeah. So Turtle, Turtle B put me up uh, on the scene. He was in his early 20s. He brought me over to some other cats that were in high school. I was just, you know, a little seventh grader. Um, and, you know, throughout my journey, I was always surrounded by older, older cats, you know, mm-hmm. um, young adults. And they didn't treat me like a kid. They they didn't like look down on me and treat me like a, I I didn't realize just how much of a distance there was in age until afterwards. Looking back, like oh my gosh, I was just a little kid, and they took me in. They just treated me like one of them. They didn't, you know what I mean? Right. And so after the fact, looking back, it baffled me. And I think that I have a little bit of that with my son too. It's like yeah, there's dad mode, but when it comes to like music mode. Mm-hmm. It's more like he's my he's my peer, like we're fellow musicians. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. I, I I guess I use the word guide as you know as a parent myself in in my stance, my views that you know uh, you know as as this is I've got my daughter right. She's my daughter, but at the end of the day, she's not mine. She is her own soul, her own being, and I'm here to guide her sort of through life. Mm-hmm. the best I know how with the blueprint that I can lay out um, so that's very interesting to me to hear you describe it as even beyond just a guide but as a, a peer um, a cohort you know um, and he's definitely got a future in, ahead of him should he choose to continue down the path and strengthen his sound he's got a real mm-hmm. east coast sound like from what I recall hearing like he's got this like very gutter underground east coast like in the in the alleyway just raw spit to his delivery that's what i hear when i first heard michael jr that leads me to my next question like how would you describe his sound even moving forward and whatever and as well as what you were about to say well yeah i mean i'm kind of gonna go on that um so some of his influences are like um you know he likes the like earl sweatshirt like Tyler the Creator, that Frank makes, Ocean, yep. you know, type vibes. That makes um, sense. I can hear that. Okay. Yeah, so I definitely would say that has an influence on his style. Um, but he, you know, when he's pulling up songs to look for inspiration and look for ideas, I mean, he's like pulling out old soul records and like he'll pull out records that I'd never even heard. I'm just like, how do you even know these <laughs> records? Exist? You know what I mean? Right. I, I was, I was records. You know, I was the one so, digging yeah, in the crates. I would, say, I would say, like melodically and stylistically, he's influenced by those folks that I had just mentioned, and then you know he takes it and and um, you know finds his own voice uh, through that. Which, which uh, you know, what great musician it does? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um. You know, every Jay-Z's got a, a, a Biggie around that, like, you can't say, oh, Jay-Z sounds like Biggie, but he's clearly influenced by what Biggie does. Right. He you says know? He's, Jay's got his own sound. He says but, a, a big verse. He's only bigging up his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, how many cats, how many, how many, you know, Nas and, and stuff is, you know, looking up to rock him. And you listen to Nas and it doesn't sound like rock him but you know clearly rock him has a big influence on the way that he approaches music and then you look at rock him he's like oh my influence i'm listening to jazz horns 
Mm, you know, right. I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm influenced by Coltrane. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that's one of the beautiful things about music is that, there, to me, there's a big difference between emulating and copying versus being inspired by, kind of capturing, you know, inspired in a way that gives you energy and gives you ideas and gives you a springboard to then discover your own your own voice and your own, own sounds like that's that's the legacy of that's the history of music right, right. Um, versus ooh this sound this sounds cool I really love this style and sounds dope I love that beat so I'm gonna see if I can make something that sounds as close to that as possible right. you know what I mean yeah I do know what you mean I mean even even going back to when I was 15, you know, I, I when I first experienced a period of homelessness myself, I had two CDs in my backpack full of belongings, uh, along with a riding pad. And one of those was The Hunger For More, the first solo Lloyd Banks album. And this was when G-Unit was just on the rise. And G-Unit, of course, you know, Lloyd Banks, I believe his favorite rapper was Rakim. So... Oh even dating back beyond it's strange to think that from you know lloyd banks rock him before him and jazz instrumentation before that just this sort of growth in between of what led me to my sound and finding my voice and that that took a lot of on my part a lot of you know emulating and crafting based on what i thought this cookie cutter sound was supposed to be mm-hmm. and it took year, and that included analyzing studying the balance and thought music your early solo discography uh almost biblically to the point where i was like i i'm understanding how to piece words together in a a way that conveys one singular stream of thought um and do it in a way where i i sound alive i feel fun i feel like i'm uh you could feel that through the headphones Mm -hmm. and you know, while we're on, I mean, now's a good time as any, you know, I could mention the the age of 15, I had a Walkman and I remember the night that your song, Off the Balance, you had a single with Bosco, Tonight, and that played on K-Duck for the first time. I had my Walkman queued up because I knew it was coming after the commercial break. I recorded it um, and from then on i really started to and even on thought music you know open your eyes eventually you'll see the difference between reality and what you see every day on tv i remember hearing this on the school bus at 14 15 years old and thinking that blew my mind open to like oh you don't have to be mr underground or lloyd banks there's levels to this and this is somebody that can actually break eugene radio make change bring about change and now we're sitting here 15 16 years later on this podcast (laughs) and i just i don't believe in coincidence anymore but you know when we to tie this point up with a bow you know we we talk about what resonates and um the difference between emulating a sound and finding your own voice within and it's the more that i've found my own voice the more i just seem to see reflections of me uh or at least of my passion within music um draw to me more Mm -hmm. more so and it it just it becomes a building block for your story your substance everything that you can speak on but it's always been within you the entire time it's your voice so um i guess you know that's an early memory for me 
my next question could be what hmm, what was your first memory of hip-hop my first memory period that you can yeah what's the first thing that you that you can think back to where you go i identify with that and that's what i want to do or this is what i love okay well that's that's those are kind of two different things sure um just my first discovery of hip-hop versus discovering it and you know thinking that's that's what i want to do right right um two different things yeah the first time i had that feeling of oh that's what i want to do was when my mom brought home the michael jackson thriller on vinyl mm. Mm. <laughs> nice um you know and you know i seen the the beat it and the billy jean and thriller video and when he did the moonwalk for the first time on the motown 25 like that's where i was like oh no that's that's what i want to do that you makes know? so much sense <laughs> and then you know growing up too it was it was new jack swing era so you know it was heavy d and the boys and bell biv devoe and you know what i'm saying what a and time so that sound with, when they came out with little groups like the boys which i think was produced by la uh, la reed and babyface when when he came out with the boys and and you know uh, Belbridge Bell put out ABC, and then you know even before all that, you had New Edition. Um, yeah, you know, so I seen kids my age doing it. That's where I was like, oh no, that's what I'm gonna do. You know, um, my 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 first memory of just straight up hip hop. I'm trying to think of of the earliest. Um, I remember the earliest rap that really caught my attention was probably Cool Mo D. Um, I go to work. Mm. Which, uh, it was like, uh, uh, I go to work like a doctor. When I rock the mic, you got to like the way I operate. I get, I make miracles happen just from rap. You know, it was like some of the early like stylistic stuff that wasn't just, you know, run DMC. You know, I remember, you know, I was, I was an MTV kid. So like as soon as MTV came out, you know, it was like, what's on MTV? And so you see stuff like run DMC. Uh, I remember when uh, he did the thing with Aerosmith and they were on the two sides of the wall and they right. broke down the wall and it right. was this, which is interesting because subliminally, subconsciously, what the message was, was like, wow, you can take genres that are seemingly different genres, you take rock, you take rap and combine them. And like, I didn't think of it consciously at the time, mm. but that message was planted, just even in the fact that I can recall the moment when I saw that video, you know? That's amazing because to interject, I remember watching that video at a young age too, and I picked up on that right away, the metaphor of like tearing walls down. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I remember really enjoying that video, even though I remember knowing that um, at least a couple members of Run DMC were like not about the collaboration, right? We're like, nah, this is like a watering down, an impurity of the art form, but it got them that exposure that went on to set take them up a, definitely another notch so yeah i remember that that's amazing to hear your take on that so yeah so but as far as like rapping when i was like oh that's what i want to do yeah. in particular with with rapping because you know i've started before that i was doing like talent shows like dance routines and stuff like you know i was i was more of a dancer um you know and um so you know singer i like to sing all that it wasn't until I moved to Eugene and I was, you know, when I was 13 and, and got with Turtle B and when he was like, can you rap? And I was like, sure, yeah. 
you know? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, and then, no you know, he had, he had one of his friends, like, help me write my first, my first rap, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, you can memorize it, you can do the show with us. And I was like, cool. And so I did the show, Sheldon Community Center. There was packed, right? It was packed. There was yeah. like three different high schools there. And um, then I'm a middle school kid. There was no stage. It was like everybody was just crowded around them. And, and we were in the middle of the room performing. And everybody's towering over me because I'm a middle school student. I've never heard myself on a microphone. Mm -hmm. and I, but I closed my eyes and I got through that verse. And everybody was just like, oh, yeah, that was dope. Because, again, there weren't that many people who could rap. Like, people were there to check it out. But it wasn't like everybody rapped. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that I could do it, everybody was like, oh, yeah. And so I just got so much props and energy from that one experience that, of course, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I do. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It was that day. This like, you were like, all right, here we go. Like, I could, I could get used to this. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this started really in, in, in the whole process of, like, writing it and, and, and getting it recorded for the first time and, and, and hear it back, like, just on the little tape recording and whatever. Um, but, yeah, it was that. It was that. I would say that was the moment energetically where it was like I, I was born into this, yeah. you know? That you had the, the, the ability within you? It wasn't even that I had the ability. It was like I found myself. It was like uh, this is what I was meant to do. This is this is me. You know. Wow. It was like I just found a piece of myself that I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? That just unlocked <laughs> and it just flooded out, right? Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, when do you know when you knew that you had this this within you to flow with both lyrics and music? Because you're you're building this belief up at the time, you know, just picturing like middle school aged Michael just writing this and all the while is like reaffirming this belief in yourself that I'm about to go on the stage and I'm about to do this thing and I'm about to to wreck to wreck it. And that's I, I, I can identify with that as a young songwriter. So when you hit that stage was it that day or was there another experience that you can reach back to that you that you knew you had this within you to flow with the lyrics and with the music? Um, I think really, really where that really came into play was um, when I linked up with Player D. I, I, I heard Player D at uh, the Eugene Celebration. Okay. Um, Baloo had a DJ set up at the Eugene Celebration. Everybody was freestyling. And Player D got on the mic freestyled, and uh, and I'd never heard nothing like it. I was like, "That's dopest." I, at that at that point, I thought he was the dopest rapper in the world. You know what I mean? I mean, just like that's really where the flowing, like the chopping, like it's the PLA way to the dashy. It was like this fast choppy, and like this to be able to go off the top of the head. Like I wasn't even that good at freestyling yet, so I heard that and I was blown away. And then so I ended up seeing Player D up at the radio station they did a show uh, called Black Is up at KLCC and I ended up there and Player D was there and like I started rapping for Player D like we were kind of battling a little bit in like the back room or whatever and um, and he was just like man you were ill right so he just gave me that constant confidence and of course because he was older um, I'm still a teenager he was probably in his early 20s whatever and um and then he kept telling me about this dude T double like oh wait till you hear T double wait till you hear T double, and then T double came through to the house. At, at this point, this is a little bit later. I was 
probably 16 at, at this time. Um, and he came through and I just never heard nothing like it at all. Like it was that it was like the first like real melodic like mix between like melody singing and rapping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I had been doing it too. Just it was kind of a black mob thing. We we just we mixed melody and singing with with rapping. But the, when I heard the way he did it, my mind was just I was blown away. Right. Yeah. And so to have these people who I'm looking at as like the being the dopest in the world I really was convinced of that and the fact that they thought that I was dope <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they were going around telling everybody yeah. that nobody could mess with me that's where it was like that ultimate confidence you know what I'm saying the ultimate cosign yeah what was it uh, what was it like I, you know I remember Baloo you mentioned Baloo I remember him hosting the 94.9 Jams Sunday night um oh what was it called it was like the local hour where like you could get your music on the radio if you were a rapper if you were a singer r&b it was all hip-hop based um i can't remember what the name of the show was but i remember getting my music uh, as well on that on that broadcast on uh klcc or kwva kw on 94.9 jams oh oh yeah 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 baloo was hosting that at the time that's how i that's how i came to discover him what was it like in those early years developing your skills into a touring act? Into a touring act? Yeah, that jumps um, ahead, obviously, a little bit. Well, the first time that I went on many tours was, um, they were just kind of regional, little regional tours with, uh, play with Carlos Washington and Giant People. Carlos Washington is this super badass uh, trumpet player. Okay. And um and also uh the drummer was uh Kenny Reed, rest in peace. He just passed away this last year. Um so it was like a, a jazz a jazz band and I would come through and do do my do my thing with some little, you know, melody mixed with rap and stuff. So that was like my first taste, you know. Um but really it wasn't until, you know, with Marv Ellis and We Tribe that I actually went on like real tours um, and there really wasn't anything that prepared me for that other than that I was really comfortable on stage you know I was hungry it's like just give me a stage that's all I want give me a stage mm-hmm. um, so that prepared me in that way as far as just the actual like being on the road and you know <laughs> all the adventures that come along with it like some cities you got a nice hotel some you're staying on the floor somewhere you know some you don't have no idea right. where you're gonna end up and you're hoping like somebody after the show is gonna be like yeah you guys can all seven of your your band can come stay here yeah you know some nights it's like a blessing that you have the couch yeah so i don't know that there was anything that prepared me for that particular situation but i was excited about it i was just i felt like a little kid like oh i get to go on an adventure you know and like even like when we had to stay at the crappiest spots um in weird situations like mm-hmm. i loved it all yep. we actually had the one of the craziest ones was uh we did a show in san diego okay and we had a show the next day in santa fe new mexico so Woo. we left from san diego and just drove all night <sighs> um to new mexico and our dj dva um, had a buddy 
in New Mexico. And so we're driving all the way out there, right? Overnight, we're like doing, you know, we're uh, taking turns driving. And, you know, once you start passing out at the wheel, then somebody else has to wake up and take over. Of course. Like it was so cold out because we were in the desert. Like we pull over to go pee and you couldn't pee because it was too cold. Like you couldn't, you you wanted to pee, but you couldn't pull your junk out because it it might get frostbitten. You know what I'm saying? Torture. And uh, so, so we show up, we show up at, at, deviates friend overnight and it's like this little trailer in this little trailer park and uh there's like a little trailer out back so we had people sleeping out in this little trailer out in the back there were a couple people sleeping on the back porch there were like a couple of hammocks on the back porch um two people in the living room somehow i got a bed i don't know how on that trip i got a bed but i left out so the person whose it was was uh uh it was an autistic kid Right, they had an autistic son that was like you know I don't know fifteen or something, and Sage and Matt Calkins, the sax player, were sleeping in the living room, and the kid was so excited that there was a band staying at his house. Right, he was staying across the street with his grandma, so he comes in. He's super excited. He can't wait to meet the band. He wants to play drums for them. Right, and he had just got back from this like little school play or something. So we had a tuxedo on and like a mask. It was like a, not a ski mask, but it was like a full face covering mask where you could only see eyes. Okay. And so we've been driving all night. It's like 7 a.m. We've been asleep for like two or three hours. Sage wakes up and there's this big person dressed in a tuxedo with a mask on in his face <laughs> dancing around because he's so excited to meet the band. <laughs> you know? I mean, and what better way to like make an impression than you sh- of course you show up with the tugs. Yeah, I mean, well, of course I'm glad that like the kid didn't get hurt. Like I'm glad right. it was like automatically not. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> But everybody got it was so freaked out like so disorienting like you don't even know where you're at like we couldn't even it was so dark we couldn't even hardly see where we were at like you know we woke up we, we went to sleep in san diego and woke up in new mexico and now this ski, big ski mask <laughs> dancing person <laughs> just entering you know? into a different dimension like there, what is time what is yeah that's a, that's a, that's crazy yeah. that's crazy uh well I mean that's that's a um, thank you for sharing that's an amazing story. Um, <laughs> so I got I have no transition for that one, but when it comes, it's, yeah, just the adventures, adventures of touring, the adventures of uh, of music is uh, you know it's just one of the one of the greatest adventures I think that one could be on. Oh yeah, um, so long as it's it's at a soul level it's at a spiritual level it's not just something you're trying to do for clout it's not just clout chasing or just trying to emulate something so that people will you know feed your ego when it's when it's true it's a beautiful adventure thanks for checking out part one of our interview with michael k stay tuned for part two to drop next sunday june 21st so what are your thoughts on on that intersection of of rap of hip-hop and societal change I mean, it's to me, it's all it's uh, well, the, the one thing that I will say is that I, I don't think that there's a, a more powerful voice than hip hop worldwide as a, as a as a culture. I can't think of, of, of a culture that has a more powerful, a more widespread voice than hip hop does.